0: Well for those of you that don't know up, don't know uh, me, I grew up in a small town um, in the, uh, the state of Maryland and the t- name of the town was the town of Odenton. It's kind of a blink on the map. Um, it's most well known because it's near Fort Meade, which is near where NSA is. And so uh, Odenton is positioned about halfway between Baltimore and Washington. And, and growing up as a little kid, uh, my dad was a sports fan and so I quickly became a sports fan and And as a kid, one of the teams that was my favorite teams was the uh, Baltimore Orioles, and so orange and black were my favorite colors, and I cheered for this team as a kid. Not only the orange and black did I cheer for them, but I cheered for another team, and that was the blue and white, and that was the Baltimore Colts. And as a kid, I followed these teams, I cheered for the teams, I went to their games, I collected their baseball cards, I cut out clippings when they did well and created some notebook with them all, and I was a fan. Unfortunately, all of that changed on March 29, 1984, when the owner of the Baltimore Colts, Robert Ursay, packed up the team into Mayflower vans in the middle of the night and moved them to Indianapolis. And my family and everybody who lived in Baltimore from that point on hated Robert Ursay, and nobody could take themselves rooting for the Colts at that time. So I lost my team. I had to find a team. And so most of my family just said, ah, oh, we're not rooting for anybody. You know, we hate them all, you know, and I wasn't that... I wasn't able to do that, so I just went a little further south, about 30 minutes, and decided to become a Redskins fan, and uh, that actually worked pretty convenient, because they were in the middle of a three Super Bowl stretch during the 80s, so I quickly became a fan of the Washington Redskins and followed them, and so the teams I cheered for and the teams I supported as a kid in my high school years and going to the college, they all did well. They're always in the World Series and always in the Super Bowl and, and playing really well until They hit this dead spot about the middle to late 90s when the Orioles from 1997 to 2012 were literally the worst team in baseball. Worst record. Horrible. Horrible. Redskins kind of went through a dirt at that time and and, uh, didn't get in the playoffs very often, didn't succeed very often. They were not very good as well. But I continued to cheer for my team go to games, follow how the team was doing until even in the last couple of years, they've been able to turn their uh, franchises around and actually do pretty well. When I moved to this area, I discovered a term that I didn't know before, and that was called bandwagon jumpers. I, I never knew about bandwagon jumpers until I moved to this area, but I found out that there's a lot of people who are fans of local sports teams, and, and some are willing to wear their jerseys and let everybody know about them, but others, they kind of hide. They don't let anybody know that they're really cheering for that team until the team is doing well, and then they come out of the closet and they cheer for that team. And then when the team starts to dive and, and take a, they start to the tank and do well, well, they just jump off the bandwagon, or if you live in Philly, they just jump off the Ben Franklin Bridge, you know, and uh, disappear in the woodwork, and you never hear from them again until their team comes back to life. Well, today we're going to talk about being, uh, identifying who you're a fan of. Deciding what team you're on. We're going to talk about going public with your faith and what that means and what that looks like. If you haven't been here with us at CCC, we've been this month, we've been in this series entitled Next Steps. And we've been talking about the next steps that God wants you to take in your faith and God wants you to take in your journey. And some of the next steps that we've talked about over these last several weeks, the first next step we talked about was following Jesus. And said, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that step of faith look like? And then we talked about the step of faith of being in relationships and not just having friends, but what does it look like to have healthy, meaningful relationships where you feel safe and the other people in relationship with you feel safe? We then talked about two weeks ago about this whole idea of serving. And not that everybody should have to do something, but the fact that if you uh, call CCC your church home, that God has actually brought you here. And not only has God brought you here, but God says you are the part of this body, and you have a part that you fit, that you play. And we had over 50 people say, hey, I want to play a part somewhere. Can someone talk to me and help me figure that out? And, and as a staff, we've divided these up. So if you haven't heard from us yet, after we got dug out, we're in the process and we'll be reaching out to you and, and connecting with you help you find your place. But what we've talked about over this series is God doesn't ask you to start way over here and then take a flying leap to get way over here. That's not what God asks you to do. He doesn't ask you to do that. He just says, I want you to take the next step. That's what He says I want you to do. And then what's the next step that He wants you to take? And when you take that step, He says, now I have another step for you to take. And so this morning we're going to talk about another step, and that's the step of baptism, of going public with your faith. If you have a Bible with you this morning, if you would turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible or a wireless device, and if you don't have a Bible, our guys have some of those and they'll make those available to you. Um, They're bringing those up now, and the page number is going to be on the screen for you to follow along. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start this morning. let me tell you a little bit about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a tool that's in your shed. That's not what the book of Acts is. Um, The book of Acts is really the activities of the disciples of Jesus, or sometimes known as the apostles. The activities of the apostles. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he went back up to heaven to be with God the Father... um, The disciples didn't just come to that end of their their experience and say, wow, that was a pretty wild three years. I don't think I'll ever forget that for the rest of my life. Okay, I guess I'll go back to fishing. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. There were some pretty radical things that happened to these guys' lives. And uh, the book of Acts is about their activities as they were following Jesus. And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the first message, the first teaching that came that was given to the jewish community right after jesus left this earth so if you're there in your bibles on acts chapter 2 let's start in verse 22 and listen to the words from peter as he's talking to the crowd along with the other disciples he says this fellow israelites listen to this jesus of nazareth nazareth was a man credited by god to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did among you through him as you yourselves know This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. For the very first time, the Jewish community was hearing something. They were hearing that Jesus' death on the cross was actually part of God's supernatural plan. It wasn't just a mistake, it wasn't just an accident, it wasn't just an injustice, but God actually had mapped this thing out for this to take place. And they're also hearing that it was God who raised him from the dead. You see, there had been a rumor that had been spread that the disciples had just taken Jesus' body and hid it so they could spread around this rumor. But Peter says, No, no, no. No, no, no. He says, It was God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on to say in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And he points out two important truths that in this first sermon. The first is that you were the ones that killed Jesus. The you is describing the Jewish people in that day. And that was kind of stunning for them to hear that. Because these were good Jews. I mean, these Jews had actually come to the city of Jerusalem following the Old Testament law to do exactly what Jews were supposed to do. And Jesus said, it's your fault that this happened. Or Peter said that you killed him. It's part of God's plan, but you are the ones who killed him. And then he goes on to say as well, God was the one who raised him from the dead. Peter did not want them to just push this off on the religious leaders, on the religious community. He wanted them to recognize that they had ownership in this. They had a part in this. This was on them that this happened, that this took place. I don't know about you, but I don't think about that very often. I don't very often pause and think about the reality that Jesus dying on the cross I had a part in that. It's because of my sin that He went to that cross. On a monthly basis, when we pause to remember Jesus' death called communion, we do that so we don't forget that I had a part, that you had a part in Jesus dying on the cross. Mel Gibson, when he produced the movie The Passion of the Christ, wanted to know what that experience was like. He wanted to know what was the experience like to be, have this sense of personal responsibility, that he was the one who nailed Jesus to the cross. And so instead of having a stunt double, when they were producing this movie, dried the stake through the hands of Jesus, Gibson said, "I want to be the one to hold that nail as it's driven into his hand." And so he was the one who put his hand out there, not a stunt double, and said, I want to know what that experience is like. And Peter says to the Jewish community, he says, it was you, it was you, it was you who nailed Jesus to the cross. The reality is, is it was my sin. And it was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. So, how did the people respond hearing that? Look in verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, Peter, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? It was as if it hit them right between the eyes and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it was us. We did do it. This is on our heads. What do we do now? What do we do now? Peter replied, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Spirit. This is promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to, that, to their number that day. What happened? They responded to the gospel that day. They responded to the Gospel. They believed that Jesus died on the cross in their place for their sins. He took their place. When we talk about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we talk about a substitutionary atonement. He substituted Himself on the cross for my sins. It's believing He died in my place. It's believing I can't earn my salvation, that I need Jesus to have done it for me. It's believing that His death is the only way for me to have a relationship with the God of the heavens, for me to have a relationship with my Creator. And then as He calls them there, He says to repent. He says you need to stop going this way and you need to say I'm not going to follow my way of life, my plans, the way I want to live my life, I'm going to turn and I am going to follow Jesus. That's what He calls them to do. And so the first question for you today, before we ever get to the subject of baptism and what that is all about, what's related to that is, have you received this message of Jesus? Have you accepted This message of Jesus. Not do you know about Jesus. Most of the world knows about Jesus. Not do you believe that He died on the cross for the sins of mankind. That's why the whole world comes to church on Easter. Because everybody believes that that's true. But do you believe that you needed Him to do that for you? That there's no other way for you to have a relationship with God apart from you accepting what He did for you. And that you received His gift of salvation, Have you said, I believe that Jesus is the forgiver of my sins and I want to turn my life over and make Him the leader of my life? And that's what Peter asked that day. And several thousand people believed. But notice what happens right after that. In verse 41, it says, Those who accepted His message were baptized. The first question is, have you accepted the message of Jesus? And the second question is, have you been baptized? And we're going to see in just a few moments as we look at a number of passages in Scripture, baptism always follows salvation. When a person takes the step and says, yes, I'm following Jesus, I've given my life to Him, they're willing to go public with their faith and say, He's my Savior and He's my Lord and I'm going to let everybody know that. I heard someone make this statement and it was a pretty bold statement. They said this, they said, an unbaptized Christ follower is a walking contradiction. Let that settle in. An unbaptized Christ follower is a walking contradiction. He said, no, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then what is keeping you from taking that next step of going public with your faith? So, well, I'm not really, it's not, I, then maybe you need to take a step back and say, have I received the message of Jesus? Have I received that message? And if I'm not willing to take that step, why not? Why not? So what is baptism? What is baptism? There's a couple of things that are going to come up on the screen to explain that. The first is it's going public. It's letting other people know. Letting family, letting friends, letting the people that I'm related to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Number two, it's a command of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, He says, Go and make disciples and I want you to baptize them. You see, baptism was a part of the culture of that day. Individuals in that day would decide who they're going to believe in, who they're going to listen to, who they're going to follow, and they would follow different rabbis. And the teachings of different, the interpretations of the Old Testament of different rabbis. And when you would choose to follow a rabbi, a rabbi would take you in front of a group of people and he would take you down to Body Water and he would baptize you. And that's what John was doing. He was baptizing individuals who were followers of his before Jesus showed up on the scene. And the number three, it's an obedient proof of genuine belief in Jesus. It's obedient proof of genuine belief in Jesus. Now, the way that we baptize here at CCC is by immersion. And so the second question is, why do we immerse? Why do we immerse? Well, the first reason is that's literally what the word means. That's literally what the word baptize means. When the Bible was translated, it was written originally, as they heard it from the individuals that, the the events that took place, it was written in the the Greek language called Koine Greek, which is common Greek, the Greek for everyday everyday people. And so when they translate the Bible from Greek to English and they go along and they're taking each word and they're finding a comparable word. Okay, that's what that one means. This one, okay, that's what that one means. The word baptized, they never translated that word. You're like, what do you mean they didn't translate that word? They didn't. If you open up a Greek New Testament and you find that word, it says baptizo. English translation, it's "baptize." They never translated that word. You say, why didn't they translate it, that word? The reason they didn't is because of the controversy surrounding this, and I'll talk about that in just a few moments. So the word baptize literally means to immerse. It was taken from two different cultural things in that day. The one was when they would take a fabric, and if they wanted to make a fabric black, they didn't have black fabric. They had to create a dye that often came from from, uh, things within a tree or other things, uh, tree bark or um, things that they would create with that color, and they would immerse a piece of fabric in that color to change the color of the fabric and the only way you could change the color completely immersive there's it. It also a term that was used when a ship would hit a reef and the ship would have its hull cracked and go down and it would completely be submerged they wouldn't say the ship sank they say the ship baptized that's what they would say it happened so in the culture of that day that word means to immerse another reason that we do that is uh, all the examples in the new testament were immersion all examples of individuals being baptized were immersion in mark chapter 1 verse 9 and 10 it's talking about jesus is at that time jesus came from nazareth in galilee and was baptized by john just as jesus was coming up out of the water in John 3.23, when it talks about Jesus being baptized, it said they could do it there because there was plenty of water. And we're going to see more passages where there was water that was used for them to go down into that. Another reason for it is that it was the practice of the early church. It was practice of the early church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, is a story about a man named Philip. And Philip was walking from one place to the next. That's how they got from one place to the next. Most people did in those days. And he came across a man who was an Ethiopian. He worked for the king of Ethiopia. He was likely his treasurer. He was the minister of finance is what we would call him today. And as he ran into the minister of finance, he saw that he was reading a scroll. Not a book, but a scroll. And as he was reading this scroll, it was about the prophet Isaiah who was talking about this Messiah, this deliverer that would come. And he couldn't make any sense out of it. And Philip said, let me explain to you who this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus. And Peter and Philip excuse me, explained it, and the man believed. And as the man believed, they continued on their journey, and he said in this passage, he said, they came to some water, and he said, here's some water. What's standing in the way of being baptized? And they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And there's overwhelming evidence that this took place over and over and over and over again. So you may be wondering, well, how did other modes of baptism or other ways of being baptized, how did that come about? Well, part of that you have to do a little bit of study in church history. Some of that came about in uh, the 3rd century. In the 3rd century, Constantine was the emperor. Constantine declared that everyone had to be a Christian. Everyone had to be a Christian. And everyone who had to be a Christian had to be baptized. But that meant a change in the way that you lived. Constantine wanted to go to heaven but he didn't want to change the way that he lived. And so being the emperor, he could make the rules. And he said, I'm going to live the way I want to. I'm going to do everything I want to, but on my deathbed, which is what he did, I'm going to make sure I get a little water sprinkled on me and I will declare that that qualifies as baptism. There was also a theology that began to surface during that time in which parents were being taught that their kids, their children, when they were born, that if they didn't, If they were not baptized, they would not go to heaven if they didn't when they died. And so parents, as a way to protect their children, as a way to guarantee that their children would go to heaven, they would baptize these children so that they would spend forever with God. And those were declared church um, doctrine for many denominations in the 13th century. But there's no evidence of them in the Bible. The last reason that we baptize by immersion is it's going to come up here on the screen is as it best depicts... Dying and rising with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, we can have that on the screen. Do you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? He talks about being baptized into His death. Remember we talked about baptism as an identification. It's a connection to something else. Look at the next verse. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul talks about this, and he takes the picture of when Jesus died and was placed in a tomb, and then that stone was rolled away, and He came and He rose again to new life. And he takes that picture and he says, there is this mystical union that happens when you have placed your faith in Jesus, and you take this step of, going, of being baptized. Where when you go down in that water, it's a picture, symbolic picture of your old way of life that you are dying to. And you come up out of that water and that old way of life is being washed away. And you are born into a new relationship with Jesus. You see, does being baptized make a person saved? No, baptism is what happens and then salvation. It's not baptism that saves. It's a picture of what happens inside. It's an external picture of an internal commitment. It's an external picture of an internal commitment. Just like because I have a wedding ring on. I, I can, anybody can wear a ring, but what does that ring symbolize? It symbolizes an external, commit, external picture of an internal commitment that I have made to my wife. And so baptism is much the same. You know, one of the things I tell our photographers when they're taking pictures of baptism, I said, catch the picture of the person right as they come out of the water. It's the most remarkable thing. Because when they come up out of the water, their face explodes into the most amazing smile as if something has, has supernaturally changed in their lives. Why is that? I, I can't fully describe it. There's something supernatural, there's something mystical about this connection with my Savior who did this for me. And in a very symbolic way, I am doing this to identify with him it's a powerful picture it's a powerful image it's a powerful experience to identify with Jesus through baptism you say but John what what about what about those individuals and I kind of fit in that category you know I was baptized as a baby I was baptized as an infant by my parents and maybe that's been your experience. And the truth is, if you think about that, that was a very meaningful experience for your parents. Likely you don't remember it. Likely. Um, and if you think about what was the intent, what was the desire that your parents had at that moment in time? Likely their desire was that you would one day Choose Jesus, that you would one day spend have a relationship with Jesus, that you would one day spend eternity with Jesus. But there's no evidence in the Bible that that baptism makes that happen. It just simply is a reflection of their heart's desire. And so if you've been baptized as an infant, and you have taken the step of accepting and receiving Jesus, I would encourage you to be baptized again. You say, well, John, I was baptized before, after I received Jesus, but I was baptized in a different way. I was not placed under the water. Does that mean my baptism doesn't count? I have no idea. I have no idea. We'll check in with God on that when we get to heaven. Um, But what we've chosen to do here at CCC is we have encouraged individuals who've experienced that to consider taking the step of being baptized by immersion. As a way of identifying with Jesus. And one of our elders explained it to me. He said, It's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like a couple who stands before an altar and, and stands before a pastor and they, and they go through their vows. And in their vows, they say, You know, I will love, honor, and cherish, you know, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. They, they don't have any idea what that means. They, they really don't. They say it, but they don't know. They don't know. You're fiance gets sick you just leave them at home and you go home you don't have to be there with them through all that nastiness you know um you take your money and you leave and they got to figure out how to handle things with their own money you know when you make that commitment when you make that pledge when you make that vow you're you're in it and you're there and then 20 25 years 30 35 years you again say you know we want to renew our vows you know And, and you stand before one another with some family and friends, and you say, you know, I pledge to you in sickness and health, you know what that's like. And you might even be standing with someone that's facing a terminal illness. For richer for poorer, you might know what it's like to go through bankruptcy. You might know what it's like to not know where two, your next two nickels are going to come together or how that bill's going to get paid. Does that invalidate the vows that you made before? Absolutely not does it deepen your understanding and your commitment and your under and your pledge to one another it most certainly does and so to be baptized again doesn't invalidate your first experience doesn't minimize it or erase it it simply gives you an opportunity to take a step and go public and say i want my family and my friends and the people that i worship with to know that i am a follower of jesus They say, what if I got baptized when I was a kid and it was the thing to do and, and, and I knew I was supposed to get baptized and my parents told me I should get baptized. So, I said, oh, yeah, sure, why not? My friends were getting baptized. I didn't really think about it. it didn't mean anything to me. I just did it. I just did it. What should I do? I don't think you have to get baptized again. But I encourage you to sit with this and wrestle with it. And if there's something inside of your spirit that says, you know, I want to go public. I want to personally identify with Jesus. I want my family and friends to know that I am a follower of His. And I want to declare that today. And I want this to be my decision that I am announcing today. I'd encourage you to consider it. It's one of the reasons that when someone comes to us and says, you know, I want my whole family to be baptized, I like, oh, let's kind of, just kind of pause right there. We have conversations with each individual who's part of the family. Because this is a personal decision to go public with your faith. One last question for you to consider. And that's this. That's who should be baptized. Who should be baptized? The truth is, not everyone. Not everyone. Only those individuals who've taken the step of receiving Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Because baptism always follows your decision to choose Jesus. And if you would take your your Bible and you would go home and you would read through the book of Acts, you would find this over and over and over and over again. In Acts 2, they believed and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, they believed and they heard the good news and they were baptized. Simon himself believed and was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius believed and he was baptized. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer heard and believed in his family and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 18, they heard and believed and they were baptized. What do you need to believe? That Jesus died for your sins in your place so that you could have a relationship with God forever. I say, but John, I'm kind of a private person. I don't really like to, you know, I don't want people to know what's going on with me. And there's a part of that that's, that's very true. Your faith, your decision to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that is a private decision. That is a personal decision between you and your creator god himself but even though your decision is private your faith was never meant to be private your faith was meant to be public your decision is private but your faith was never meant to be public You say, but John, I I do a lot of good things. You know, I I read my Bible on a regular basis and I listen to Christian radio and I I read Christian novels and, and all those things are good and meaningful and important things, but they're not things God commanded you to do. He did command you if you placed your faith in Jesus to be baptized. So the question for you to ask yourself today is, have I placed my faith in Jesus? And am I willing to be baptized? And if not, why not? If not, why not? In the front pocket of, of your chair there, there's a card that looks like this. I want to ask everybody to pull out that card if you're on the front row that should be on your seats. So if everybody pull out the card that looks like this. And one of the things that we want to do this morning is we want to eliminate all the excuses. The only the closest thing we could have had to that is had a tank right here in the mo- this morning, but we don't. So... Um, But we want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning that if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you can check that first box and you've never been baptized, that you would consider checking that second box today. Today. Put your name and contact information down there. If you have not been baptized, why not? Why not? An unbaptized Christ follower is a walking contradiction of what following Jesus is all about. You say, John, if, if we, you're not going to baptize people today, then when are we going to do this? We're going to do it in, in a month, end of February. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to be out of town. I'm, you know, I'm going to be in the Bahamas. You know, well, then we'll schedule you for the next one you know, when we do it this summer. But I want to challenge you today to say, I'm willing to take this step. I'm willing to go public. I'm not willing to keep my faith a private thing any longer. And I'm not going to make any more excuses about why I'm not willing to let everybody know that I am a follower of Jesus. Have you received the message of Jesus? Have you been baptized? If not, why not? If you've got questions and you want to talk to us about it, you can put a note on there. We'd love to talk to you and discuss this a little bit more with you. Um, But we hope and challenge you to take this step. We're looking forward to the end of February of having an entire service where we have people that say, I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to go public. And for you to hear story after story of people who say, it's time. It's time. I no longer want my life to be a contradiction because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to let people know today. bow your heads with me as we close and as we do so um, maybe this morning you've taken that step and you've been baptized but if you haven't I hope you're wrestling with if not, why not and you're willing to be honest about it God is a patient God and He's brought you here this morning to hear this message and for you to be challenged by it. God, You were willing to send Your one and only Son to this earth And you were willing to have him give up his life so that we could have life in a relationship with you, not only in this life, but for eternity. God, you invite us to declare our allegiance to you, declare our willingness to follow you, our support of you. And Father, I pray for those who are wrestling through that decision right now that they might be able to come to a place of saying, I'm willing to go public with my faith. And let everyone know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Give them the courage to do so. We pray in Your name. Amen. As the band comes forward to lead us in this song that we're going to close with, um, if you're wrestling with the decision this morning, our prayer for you is that you're willing to say, you know, God, I'm I'm going to surrender on this one. I'm I'm going to turn this one over, and I'm going to follow you. I'm saying, say, Lord, I want to be someone whose life and words match. And today, I'm willing to surrender. Johnny, I was going to have everybody remain seated for the first part of this song, and then later I will invite you to stand.